serving with heart. That's Lutheran Senior Services. As one of the largest not-for-profit senior housing networks in the nation, Lutheran Senior Services lives out its mission every day through independent living, assisted living, skilled nursing, affordable housing, in-home services, and hospice care. Building on a legacy of more than 150 years, Lutheran Senior Services helps older adults live life to the fullest. Learn more at lssliving.org. Is your marriage worth fighting for? If you've ever said, I can't take it anymore, I want out, or enough is enough, then today's program featuring Dr. Gary Chapman and his book, One More Try, is a program you need to hear. He'll give you the courage and confidence to move forward when your marriage seems to be falling apart. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Dr. Gary Chapman, my guest today, is an author, speaker, pastor, and counselor. He has a passion for people and for helping them form lasting relationships. He's the best-selling author of the Five Love Languages series and the director of Marriage and Family Life Consultants. I'm so thankful that you could be our guest today, Dr. Chapman. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kay. I'm delighted to be with you. All right. And your book? One More Try, What to Do When Your Marriage is Falling Apart. Wonderful. And there aren't really a lot of books out there on marriages that are uh, falling apart, are there? Well, not a lot, to be very honest with you, Kay. Most uh, books on marriage are just dealing with fundamental principles, uh, you know, to have a healthy marriage uh, and, and that sort of thing. But this book focuses in on those couples who are at the point of giving up. Some of them have actually already separated. You know, they've just they've moved out. One of them moved out. But others are still in the same house, but they have no hope. They have no sense that it's going to get any better, mm-hmm. and they're thinking about giving up. So this book is really trying to help those people find some hope. That's great, and I hope if our listeners are in that situation that they continue to listen today. So can separation ever be a good thing, Dr. Chapman? Well, I think it can. I think there is a place for tough love, which says, in a very, very difficult situation, I love you too much to sit here and do nothing and watch you destroy yourself and destroy our marriage. Therefore, I am going to, and you decide what you're going to do, whether it's moving with your mother or whatever, but you're saying to them, I'm not abandoning you. I'm fully willing to engage in marriage counseling with you. If you will deal with the problem that has brought us to this point, then I will be happy to engage in marriage counseling with you, and we'll see if we can rebuild our marriage. Mm -hmm. That's tough love, and I think there is a place for that. And if separation is an act of love, then it can be constructive. Many times, however, separation is simply we leave with anger, we leave with bitterness, we leave with hurt. Uh, It's not an act of love. We're just trying to get out of a bad situation. Absolutely. Well, what if only one spouse wants to save the marriage? Well, that is often the case, Kay. Uh, You know, in my office and other counselors' offices, uh, it's true that many times one person will come for counseling. And they will say, I've asked my husband, I've asked my wife, I've begged them to go with me for counseling. They will not come. They say, I'm the problem. They don't have a problem. 
So I'm here. Maybe I am the problem. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm here. And they, they do want to work on the marriage, but the other has no desire to work on the marriage. So I think there is hope, and there's a very real sense in which in this book I'm talking about what you can do, what one individual can do, the one who wants to work on the marriage. What approach mm-hmm. do you take? How do you go about it? So, yes, I think there is hope for a marriage if one person is willing to reach out for help. That's what I usually hear, one person asking for prayer. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, uh, a year later, as I visit with them, the divorce is either pending or has happened. So thank yeah. you so much for for helping couples in this situation. So uh, there are many reasons for divorce, but is it possible for a marriage to recover from infidelity? I think it is, Kay. Let's face it, however. Infidelity, sexual infidelity in a marriage relationship strikes at the very heart of marriage. You know, the scriptures say that the ideal is that in marriage two become one flesh. And almost all commentators agree that that term one flesh has a primary reference to sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. There's something that happens in the sexual relationship that bonds those two people together deeply. It's not just joining two bodies. You know, you can do that with a handshake. No, there's something emotional that happens, something intellectual, something social, something spiritual, something physical. It is a bonding experience. And when you violate the covenant you've made to be true to each other, it is like ripping the heart out of that other person. So it is a very, very painful experience. But there can be life and marriage on the other side of that. If the individual who has offended is willing to confess and repent and turn away from the other relationship and come back and genuinely apologize and commit themselves to working on the marriage, then yes, there can be restoration. Forgiveness is real, and forgiveness opens the door to the possibility that we can rebuild our marriage. So there is hope if the one who is offended is willing to take the right steps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've heard that, and often I don't hear the marriage surviving, and I love that uh, you give suggestions for that and um, help people walk through that because forgiveness is so powerful, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And, you know, sometimes, Kay, people will say to me, well, you know, I think they're, I think they're sincere, and I'm choosing to forgive them, but to be honest with you, I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, welcome to the human race. Forgiveness does not automatically restore trust. Mm. And I say to the person who has offended, if you want them to trust you again, they can, but you have to take the attitude, honey, I'm through with deceit. My phone is yours anytime you want to look at it. You can, you can look at my computer. You can look at my iPad. If I tell you I'm going over to George's house to help him work on his car, it's fine with me for you to call over there in 15 minutes and see if I'm there. I'm no longer deceitful. I want to regain your trust. If you take that approach, they will come to trust you again. Mm. But it will take time, won't it? It it's will It's not going to happen uh, in a week or a month. It, it's right. going to take some time. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. And in the meantime, uh, you know, you're, you're rebuilding trust. Sure, sure. That's great. So what are the primary causes of divorce, Dr. Chapman? Well, if I had to put it in one word, I would say selfishness. Mm. 
you know, all of us are self-centered. Let's face it, uh, you know, and there's a, there's a good part to that. That means that I feed myself, I get the rest I need, I get exercise, I'm taking care of myself. That's good. But when that self-centeredness becomes selfishness so that I am viewing all of life in terms of what am I getting out of this. So in my marriage, I'm thinking they're not meeting my needs. They're not doing what they ought to do. Now, two selfish people who are looking at the world through their own glasses and and are demanding the other meet their needs, are never going to have a good marriage. Good marriages are built on love. Love is the opposite of selfishness. Love is seeking the well-being of the other person. Love is willing to give yourself to the other person. So at the very root of what leads ultimately to divorce is at least one person who is selfish, sometimes both who are selfish, but always one. Very interesting, selfish being the opposite of love. And uh, um, what? how do you help people, Dr. Chapman, learn not to be selfish? Well, I think there's a spiritual element there because by nature we do tend to walk in that direction. We're not lovers by nature. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think we have to recognize that we have to have a changed heart. Mm. If you read the scriptures, of course, You know, Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. He's our model. And when we become Christians and we receive the Spirit of Christ into our lives, uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we can be God's agent for loving our spouse, even though our spouse is not loving us. Mm. And love is the most powerful influence in the world. That's great. So how can having faith and going to church help someone in a marital crisis? Well, I think faith, by which I mean our our personal relationship with Christ, you know, our commitment to him, our reaching out to accept his forgiveness and allow him to be the Lord of our lives, it gives meaning to our lives. It gives direction to our lives. It gives us a pattern which we're seeking to follow. You know, if you simply take the teachings of Jesus and apply them to your marriage, if both of you do that, you're going to have a good marriage Mm -hmm. because the principles that Jesus taught lead to good relationships in a marriage or anywhere else. And so I think our our faith and what we believe about Christ and about God and about the Scriptures, those things are extremely important in the way we live our lives because we tend to live out our beliefs. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect, and sometimes, yes, we, we go against what we say we believe, But by and large, our beliefs uh, influence our behavior. And uh, so I think think our faith in in Christ is is really key to having a healthy marriage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very good. So uh, let's talk some other areas of your book. How can a separated spouse deal with loneliness? Because you really talk a lot in your book about separation and the, the way to work on the marriage while you're separated. But... That's going to be lonely. So talk about that for a minute. Well, I think it is lonely. You know, I think typically when a person is in a very difficult marriage and they choose to move out, there is a momentary sense of relief. In fact, I've heard people say, this has been the most peaceful week of my life for years. And I say to them, I can understand that because you left the battlefield. You've been in a battle and now you've withdrawn from the battle. And yes, it's more peaceful behind the lines, but you don't win the battle 
by retreating. Uh, but it does bring a momentary peace to that person. But as time goes on, if they, if they simply stay in that withdrawn state, they do become lonely. Now, here's the common mistake. In their loneliness, they reach out and get involved in, in another relationship, mm. often a very unhealthy relationship, because they're so needy, they latch on to someone who's kind to them, and in a year or two years, they're in worse trouble than they were before. Mm. So I suggest to people who have separated, don't date for at least two years. Now, that's a hard word. I understand mm-hmm. that. But don't even think about getting involved with someone of the opposite sex within, the, within two years. Take this as a time of healing, and then let's see what God might do in you and in your spouse and let's see if reconciliation can take place, and often it can. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do think there, there is, however, a period of loneliness, and what I suggest, among other things, is that you reach out to a church that has a ministry to single adults who are struggling, get in a support group where there are people that can understand you and pray with you and help you, uh, build friends of the same sex, uh, and turn to your extended family and let them be a part of your life. Don't try to make it alone. And ultimately, I think many times the best thing you can do is get involved with a Christian counselor or talk to a Christian pastor Mm -hmm. and let them help you find an older person who can kind of mentor you as you walk through the pain of the separation while you're trying to, to seek reconciliation. So can any couple that separate without someone to walk with them, a pastor or a counselor, make it on their own? Or do you really encourage, you just said that, but do you really encourage someone to walk with them and to help them? Because if they don't fix the challenges they had, are they ever going to heal their marriage? Well, the most common mistake is that when a person separates and the other person comes back and says, you know, I understand why you left me and I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm changing, uh, or I'm already, I've already changed. And if you'll just come back, you mm-hmm. know, if you'll just come back, we'll, 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 I'll do whatever you want to do. And they move back together, never having dealt with the problem that led to the separation. And typically within six months, they leave again. Mm-hmm. So the answer is not simply moving back into the house. The answer is focusing in on the thing or things that led to the point of desperation where one of them walked out. And if those things can be dealt with, then we have reason to believe that when we do come back in the same house, we're going to make it. We're going to have a marriage not like we had before, but a marriage far different from the marriage we had before. Most of the time, it's going to take an outsider, a counselor, a pastor, someone with maturity that can help the individuals walk through their own struggles discover themselves, discover God, and then begin to rebuild the marriage. All right, good. I have a few announcements, and then we'll come back and continue talking about one more try, what to do when your marriage is falling apart. Moody Publisher has donated several of Dr. Gary Chapman's books, One More Try, to Family Shield. We'll give them away to our listeners through a drawing. To sign up for the drawing to win a book, Call our response center, 1-877-317-4326. That number again, 
877-317-4326. You can also email us your complete address through our website at www familyshieldministries.com. Each week we offer a booklet or resource to our listeners. This week we're offering the booklet Renew the Romance in Your Marriage. To receive a copy, again, call the Response Center, 877-317-4326. If you're a Thrivent Financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to the Thrivent website at www.thrivent.com and then Thrivent Choice. Family Shield is a listener-supported radio program. Your support allows us to produce and air this program on 51 radio stations around the country. We encourage you to pray for us and support us with a gift of any amount. Send gifts to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. I want to go back to Dr. Gary Chapman. We're talking about his book, One More Try, and... uh, There's so much more to talk about, but uh, we talked about loneliness. What if there's been abuse, Dr. Chapman? What do we do? What do you do then? What do you counsel people to do? Well, I think uh, physical or sexual abuse or even verbal abuse that's extended uh, cannot be accepted as behavior. Uh, You can't simply come to live with that. It's destructive to you. It's destructive to the children if you have children, and it's destructive to the person who's doing it. So I think that is where tough love often has to be applied because those people who are abusing others are not likely simply to change with the passing of time. There has to be a crisis that helps them come to recognize, I am about to lose something that's important to me. And often it's the crisis when you apply tough love that, stimulates them to begin to reach out and get help uh, in their destructive behavior. That's a big topic, and we won't continue talking about that, but that's really important. So what is the most important thing couples can do to save their marriage? Well, I think we have to start where Jesus told us to start, and it's not the normal starting place. Jesus said, why do you try to get the speck out of the other person's eye? when, behold, there's a beam in your own eye. First get the beam out of your own eye. Then you can see more clearly how to get the speck out of the other person's eye. Most of us, if we're in a troubled marriage, most of us believe that the real problem is our spouse. And we spend the bulk of our time trying to get them to change. We tell them what they're doing wrong. We beg them to change because we believe they're the problem. Well, they may be a big part of the problem. But Jesus said the starting place is to deal with your own failures. Mm -hmm. So I believe the first step is to sit down alone with God and just say, Lord, you know what I live with. You know the pressures that are there. But what I want to know is where am I failing in this marriage? And let God bring to your mind where you are failing. Write them down. Confess them to God. Then go to your spouse and say, I've been thinking about us, and I know I've been on your case, and I know I've been critical of you, but I realize that I am part of the problem in this marriage. And I ask God to show me where I've been failing you. 
and I'd like, I, he showed me, I've confessed them to God, and I'd like to apologize to you. You have taken a step to make things better in that relationship. Your spouse may not forgive you quickly, or they may say, you know, I don't want to hear your, you know, what God's telling you, leave God out of this. They may be very harsh to you, but they're going to walk away, and in their mind, they're going to say, hey, this is different. For a year, she'd been blaming me. Now, she's accepting responsibility and reaching out to me. Mm-hmm. Who? Don't know where this is going. You see, yeah. your behavior has influenced them. We cannot control our spouse, but we can influence them. And the place to start is by acknowledging our own failures. Now, one lady did say to me, Kay, she said, Gary, I hear what you're saying, and I understand what Jesus meant about getting the beam out of your own eye. She said, but what if your husband really is the problem? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, let's say your husband is 95% of the problem, okay? That would only leave 5% for you. You wouldn't say that you're perfect. No, she said. Well, no one's perfect, you know. Everybody agrees to that. Well, let's just say you're only 5% imperfect. The place for you to start is with your 5%. And the marriage is 5% better because you have torn the wall down on your side. You've, you've acknowledged your failure. You've reached out and requested forgiveness of the other person. So marriages get better when a person takes that first step. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's just the first step. There are other things to do, but I think that's where we start. That's great. That's great. And that kind of goes along with something else you had in there is choose your attitudes and actions. And, uh, yeah. uh, and, and another thought that I really liked is that divorce will not lead to happiness. Uh, just the things that you shared so much in this book. but uh. Yeah, I take, I take time to really emphasize that point because sometimes when we're in a troubled marriage, we think, well, I'm going to get out of here. I've married the wrong person. I'm going to find somebody else. I'm going to be happy somewhere else. Well, all the research indicates that the divorce rate in second marriages is higher mm-hmm. than the divorce rate in first marriages. Mm-hmm. It's not easier the second time around. Now, that doesn't mean that some people don't have good marriages, but it's not easier because you're bringing all of your baggage from the past into the second relationship, and now you've got to learn to deal with the things you didn't learn to deal with in the first marriage. So the answer is not running. The answer is learning how to have a positive influence on your spouse. Wonderful. Well, statistics show a rise in divorce among boomers as they get older. What accounts for this? You know, I think sometimes people have the mistaken idea that we're going to hang in here together, we're going to stay in the same house until the kids leave high school and go off to college, and that way it won't hurt them as much. You know, when I speak on college campuses, Kay, the crowd that stays around after I speak and to talk to me are those students who say, my mom and dad separated after I came to college and I don't think they have any idea how this hurts me. Mm. You know, they're the most two most important people in that student's life, and that student's thinking, if my mom and dad can't get it together, you know, what hope is there mm-hmm. for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's devastating to them. So uh, I think I think parents need to rec- uh, individuals need to recognize that our behavior, and in marriage, uh, going through a divorce, doesn't affect just us. It affects our children and our grandchildren, and it affects the Christian community of which we, we're probably a part. It affects a lot of people, and the effect is negative and not positive. Mm. 
we're seeking our own personal happiness, typically, when we move toward divorce. We're trying to be happier. But research indicates we're not happier. Five years after a divorce, whether we married again or whether we're single, we're not happier than we were at the point of our divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Well, share an example of a couple you know that turned their marriage around. You know, I could give you many, many, many examples, but... uh, Probably one that just jumps in my mind is a lady who came in very, very desperate. In fact, she was on her way to the divorce attorney, and she said, Gary, I've been 20 years with this man, and it's not getting any better. And he acts like I'm not even here, and he pays no attention to me. He just lives his own life, expects me to have his clothes clean, feed him, and have sex with him when he wants to. And she said, I just can't go on like this. And at any rate, after we talked a bit, I gave her a challenge. Uh, First of all, to take the step we talked about earlier, and that is acknowledge her own failures. But then to discover his love language and start speaking his love language for six months, no matter how he treated her, whether he responded or whether he didn't respond, just consistently every week speak his love language. And within within that six months, her husband had totally turned around. Now, that demonstrates the power of love Mm -hmm. when you speak it in the language of the other person. Now, keep in mind, she had no hope for the marriage. She had no positive feelings for her husband. But she chose to do what God has done for us, and that is he loved us while we were sinners, the Bible says. She chose to love him even though he was not loving her. And When she spoke his language over a period of time, he began to warm up to her. And within three months, he was asking her, what could I do to help you? Mm -hmm. And she would say, well, if you like. And she told him something. He did it. Mm -hmm. And then every week he started asking that. Mm -hmm. She's teaching him how to love her. He doesn't quite understand what's going on. He just knows there's been a, a major change in her attitude and her behavior, and he likes what he's seeing. And so... It's the whole thing of love stimulates love. Mm -hmm. You know, the scriptures say we love God because God first loved us. Same principle is true in human relationships. If you start loving someone who's not loving you and you're speaking the right language and they're getting the message that you are looking out for their well-being, it stimulates something inside of them. And many times they're going to be drawn to you and begin to reciprocate to you. So uh, to me, that's the basic approach you are having a positive influence on the other person. Okay, I have to be honest. Yeah, I can't guarantee that they're going to turn around and reciprocate, but I can say this. If you take this approach, whether they do or not, you'll be able to look God in the face, look yourself in the mirror, and know that you did everything you could do. Wonderful. This is Kay Meyer. My guest has been Dr. Gary Chapman, author of One More Try. And uh, we hope that you will continue listening to Family Shield. Learn more at our website, www.FamilyShieldMinistries. Don't forget, we're giving away uh, several of Gary Chapman's books. Sign up, 877-317-4326. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.